Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. It talks about not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. There's already kind of a surprising statement. I rejoice in my sufferings. Um, I mean, that's not the kind of language that you hear often in our modern culture. <laughs> you know, that you know, someone... I mean, notice that Paul is not saying, I, just, I, I rejoice despite my sufferings for you. Or even, I rejoice um, in the midst of my sufferings for you. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Which is kind of surprising, isn't it? Um, how can you rejoice in suffering? You know, especially in this world and this culture that we live in that, that really seeks comfort above all else, that actually seeks to avoid suffering above all else. So, so it's, what Paul is saying is kind of surprising, but it, it gets worse. Okay? <laughs> if you read the next phrase, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And you want to go like, Whoa, Paul, <laughs> slow down, you know. Can you even say that, you know? It, it's, it sounds almost heretical, okay? So uh, he's saying quite a few surprising things here, and we'll, we'll have a look at them in a moment. And then in verse 25, he continues, Of which the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles or the nations are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom and we, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that He powerfully works within me. So I'm, I'm just going to be looking at verse 24 to 27 mostly um, this morning. Um, just to, to sort of give you a bit of context, Paul starts off the letter, you know, as typically letters were started in that time with a salutation, you know, Paul and Timothy to the church in Colossae, grace and peace to you. And then he, he reports sort of the prayer that he's praying, but it, sort of the global prayer about the gospel that is reaching the whole world and bearing fruit in the whole world. And then he gets... In, from verse 9 to 14, he gets a bit more specific and he says, what I'm praying for you specifically is for, 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 for um, wisdom and spiritual understanding um, and all that kind of stuff, that you may be fully pleasing to God and, and, and walk in His ways. So, so he moves from the general to the specific. General prayers about the gospel to specific prayers for the gospel. And then he has like a, a hymn that he does, that, that famous Christ hymn, you know, Christ... Um, you know, the, the, the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from the dead. And once again, it's, it's, you know, sort of God reconciling all things. So he starts off generally, sort of cosmic reconciliation of God. And then he gets specific, and we spoke about this last time. And he says, and you too were reconciled by God through, through uh, Jesus' death on the cross. Um, you, were, you used to be alienated, but now you're reconciled. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, as we read this last part, from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel of which I became a minister. Um, 
So, so, so he constantly moves from the general to the specific. The general gospel and then specifically general prayers, then the specific prayers for the Colossians. The general um, power and reign of Christ and then specifically the salvation of Christ to the Colossians. And he does the same here because he shifts now in these verses to his ministry, Paul's ministry. Now, remember, Paul hasn't met the Colossians face to face. He's never been to Colossae. He didn't plant the church. Uh, he says so in, in, in the beginning of chapter 2. And so he starts off and he talks about his ministry, but he, he first talks in, in these verses in general terms about his ministry. And then in chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, he'll talk but more specifically about the Colossian church and his ministry to them. But that's the context. And what, what Paul says here is that he's a minister of the gospel. And we too must be ministers of the gospel, ministers of the church. The word minister means a servant. Someone who serves. And, uh, and he mentions a few things that you need in order to be a gospel minister. He says, I'm a gospel minister because I have a gospel mandate. God has given me a stewardship. He's given me a commission. He's mandated me to share the gospel. Okay, and I'll, I'll say a bit more about that. Uh, and, and he says, I'm a gospel minister because I have a gospel message. And he calls it the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed. Okay, that, there's a gospel message, and he, and he refers to it as Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then, there's also a gospel method. Um, and I just want to share a little bit of a part of that. But, but part of that gospel method is suffering. Suffering for the gospel um, as, as the way. So, so let's, let's just um, look at that. And, and we'll see, like Paul, we must become gospel ministers who have a a gospel mandate to preach a gospel message uh, with a gospel method. So let's, let's talk about the gospel mandate. Uh, a gospel minister needs a gospel mandate, a stewardship. In other words, you become a minister because God has called you. He has entrusted a certain message to you. He's given something to you that He wants you to pass on and give to others. Who have you received something from the Lord? I think all of us, to some extent, can say, I've received something from the Lord. If you're a Christian then you received salvation from the Lord. You received the gospel. And Jesus constantly says, freely you've received, freely give. Whatever, whatever you've received, you've given. The whole idea of the kingdom and the church and the gospel is that we first and foremost become objects of redemption and reconciliation, but then that we become agents of redemption and reconciliation. That whatever we've received, we must give. We must first receive it well so that we can then give it well. Um, but he starts off with a, with a, a gospel mandate. And, and, and the word that he used there, uh, oikonomos, is, is, oikos is the word for house in, in Greek, and, and nomos is the word for law. So it, it basically means the household law or household management. So uh, oikonomos was a steward, a manager of the household. Uh, and, and he says, I've received a stewardship. You know, God's household, uh, you know, a plan to manage God's household um, and responsibility in God's household. And, and what that means is that God has entrusted something to, to Paul that he, want, that he must give, that he must use to take care of God's people. Okay? Um, I just want to read you this. I didn't put it up on the screen, but, but in Luke, those of you who are taking notes, you can just write down Luke 12, verse 42 to 43. Luke 12, verse 42 to 43. It says, And the Lord said, the Lord Jesus said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? And the word there is oikonomos, steward. Who is the faithful and wise steward 
whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And Paul says, I want to be such a servant. I want to be such a steward. I want to be such a household manager. I want to be such a minister. Because God has entrusted something to me. And the same word, minister, diakonos, servant, that, that Paul uses there, he also uses for other people, like Timothy and like Epaphras. In other words, he's not saying, I'm a minister of the church and of the gospel and no one else is, because I'm an apostle. No, he's saying, as an apostle, I'm an example of what a minister of the gospel should be. And we believe very strongly in this church that every member is a minister. Right? You believe that or is it only me? <laughs> you guys are like looking at me like this. <laughs> that, that was a good place to say amen, yes. <laughs> in, um, in, in, in Ephesians 4, um, when Paul talks about the so-called fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, um, he says that these fivefold ministers are given... Um, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the, the fivefold ministers are not given to do the work of the ministry, but to equip the saints. That's all of us for the work of the ministry. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm a saint. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, mm, I'm not so sure <laughs> if my neighbor is a saint. <laughs> I live with my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> They're not always so saintly. <laughs> They're not always so holy. <laughs> But um, it says the fivefold ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The, the fivefold ministers are not supposed to do the work of the ministry. They're supposed to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And we are the saints. We are God's holy people. We are all supposed to do the work of the ministry. Okay? So every member is a minister, and that means that every one of us, like Paul, have a stewardship from God, a commission, a mandate from God to minister to his church and to minister his gospel to his world. Um, and that means, because he's talking here about the mystery, the, the message of God, the, the, the word of God, which is the mystery of Christ in us, the, the gospel in other words. He's saying that Just bring up that scripture again, the, the first part of the scripture. He says there, um, at the end of verse 23, of which I, Paul, the gospel, the hope of the gospel that you heard, and this gospel of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then he, he, in verse 25 he says, the church of which I became a minister. Can you see that being a minister of the church means being a minister of the gospel? It's the same thing. It's by ministering the gospel that you serve the church. And when, when a steward, oikonomos, a household manager, is tasked to take care of the people of God, to feed them, to give them their food in season, in the right time, it means feeding them the gospel. The gospel is our spiritual food. It's our spiritual nourishment. It's what we need, not only to live, but to survive. We'll go hungry without it. And that means that each one of us must find a place in God's church to 
be ministers of the gospel to one another, to the church. And that's why, you know, we're so big about small groups in Shofar. Because not everyone can minister here in the big group. It's just not practical. But everyone can minister in our small groups. When six or ten or twelve of us get together on a Wednesday evening, then we can really minister to one another. We can really share the gospel. We can really encourage one another in the gospel. Uh, we can really pray for one another. That's where we can practically do it. And, and that's why if, you, if you're not yet part of a small group, um, talk to us and we'll make a plan for you. But, but that is where the rubber hits the road. If we say every member is a minister, it only really matters if every member has a place to minister, a space, an opportunity to minister. So I want to encourage you, find that for yourself. Um, you know, God gives a household plan, a stewardship, a commission to Paul, um, and that is to, to make the, the, the message of God, or the, the, the word of God, the message of God, which is the gospel, the mystery, and to make it fully known. In other words, our, what God charges us with is not just to minister in general, or just to minister the gospel, the mystery of Christ, but to make it fully known. You see it up there, to make it fully known. Yeah, he says, my, my commission, let me just show that to you again, if you can um, bring up the... He says, um, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God, that word there, logos, can mean word or message, the message of God fully known, the mystery hidden from ages uh, and now revealed to the saints. Um, what God entrusts us with, is not just to minister or to minister the gospel, but to minister all of the gospel. That means that you need to yourself know all of the gospel and receive all of the gospel and apply the gospel in all of life so that you can help others, your friends, your families, your colleagues, the people uh, with you in small group, to apply all of the gospel in all of life. We cannot make the gospel fully known, unless the gospel is fully known to us. And, and, and just think about this. Uh, in previous uh, passages, we, we read about how, especially in, in chapter 1, verse 7, he say, he, Paul says, um, you, you received the gospel. The gospel came to you through Epaphras, who is one of you, who is a faithful minister of the gospel. And, you, and he says, you learned the gospel from Epaphras. And now he comes... Even though they've already learned the gospel from Epaphras, and he says, my job is to make the gospel fully known to you. What does that tell you about the gospel? That tells you there's always more of the gospel that you need to learn. You can never say, I've arrived. You know, uh, when you do Google Maps and you put in sort of the directions, when you, when you reach a destination, it says, you have arrived. <laughs> you know that female voice on the Google Maps that says, you have arrived. <laughs> Guess what? This side of eternity, the Holy Spirit, who is our spiritual GPS, is never going to say that to you. He's never going to say, you have arrived. <laughs> it's only one day in eternity that you will, you will arrive. Until then, we, we must constantly be receiving the gospel. Uh, it must be made fully known to us. Um, and th th this, is, this also implies that it's possible to only make the gospel partially known. And how many churches are there that, un that only make the gospel partially known? 
to what extent are we only making the gospel partially known because there are aspects of the gospel that we haven't discovered yet. And that's why we all have responsibility to constantly, daily, live the gospel. But in order to live the gospel, you've got to learn the gospel. So, so let's continue to do that, um, not just for ourselves, but for those that we minister to. Um, so the, the second thing, he says, I, I have a gospel mandate to, to make the gospel fully known. But then he, he also talks about the gospel message. Uh, just bring up the, the, the verse again. I just want to read verse 25 again. Um, where Paul talks about uh, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God given to me for you, to make the word of God or the message of God fully known, the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Uh, just go on. Um, to them God, has cho- God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles is the rich, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, so, he says a lot of things there about the gospel. He, he basically says that the gospel is a mystery, a hidden mystery, a mystery that was hidden. Now, later on, he goes on to, uh, on to talk in the beginning of chapter 2, he talks about the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and understanding are hidden in Christ, in the gospel. Now he's talking, the imagery he's using here is the image of a treasure that is hidden. Now think about this for a moment. If you knew the location of the most valuable treasure in the world, what would you do? If you had one of those pirate maps with the X marks at the spot, you know, on some other treasure island, and you knew they were buried there, at, at that X was the greatest treasure in the world. What would you do? You'd dig it up, right? And that is the challenge that Paul is putting before us. He's saying, I'm showing you, I'm giving you a map to the greatest treasure in the world. Do you want it? Do you want this treasure? It's a hidden treasure, but it's also a revealed treasure mystery. It's not just a hidden mystery, it's a revealed mystery. It says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed. So a mystery, um, in, in modern terms, is, is something that doesn't quite make sense. It's, it's sort of confusing or puzzling or whatever. But in the biblical sense, it's something that, that was hidden, but is now revealed. It's an open secret. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is an open secret, a revealed mystery. Um, it was previously hidden mystery um, that is now revealed. And it was, the mystery was, you know, the fact, not just the fact that Christ is in us, but that Christ is in us, in all nations, the Gentiles, the nations. Okay? We're going to look at that in a moment. But it's revealed not to everyone. He says God chose to reveal it to His saints. Think about it, that, that you are actually privileged to know what you know. You know the greatest secret, the greatest mystery in the world. You're privileged to know that. Not everyone knows that. It's not been revealed to everyone. Your children are privileged because of the fact that you know it, you can make it known to them. You can tell them the 
location of this hidden treasure. Uh, so it's, it's not revealed to everyone, but the fact that it's revealed means that this is not just something you can know by yourself. It must be shown to you. It must be revealed to you. It must be, um, and, and that's what God does. The Holy Spirit comes and he, and he makes this mystery which can be puzzling and which can seem so almost innocuous and unimportant and unvaluable to most of the world. He can, he can reveal to us how great is the riches of it and how powerful it is and how valuable it is and make us actually want it. Um, it it's a revealed mystery. It's also a glorious mystery. It says the, the, the gospel reveals, um, firstly, the riches of the glory and the hope of, of, of glory that we have. Um, notice that the riches of glory that we have now in the present and the hope of the glory that we have for the future. There's a present and a future aspect um, to the gospel. But part of the way that you know you've started to understand this mystery is that you find it valuable because the riches of the glory of the gospel has been revealed to you. You actually value it. The more you value the gospel, it's a sign of how you actually understand the gospel. The less you value the gospel, it means the less you actually understand the gospel. Because if God reveals the gospel, he's going to reveal how glorious are the riches of the gospel. And he's going to be like, this is it. This is the most valuable, most important thing there is. And the more your heart says that to you, the more you, 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 you can know you are busy understanding, really understanding the gospel. How valuable is the gospel to you? How much, how, 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 how precious is it to you? Now, all of us are like Gollum. My precious. <laughs> you know, with that ring that he had in, in Lord of the Rings. My precious. All of us have a my precious. <laughs> all of us, us have something that's precious to us. Is what is precious to you the gospel? Um, so, um, it's, a, it's a universal mystery. You know, it, it talks about, uh, you know, the, the mystery of, um, you know, how great is, 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 is the, the riches of, of the glory of, of, the, of the mystery amongst the Gentiles. The word Gentile just means the nations. And, and this is part of the, the mystery and the surprise that the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, you know, is the anointed Jewish king, is not just king of the Jews, but he's king of the world. He's not just going to be in his people, the, the Jews, but he's going to be in all peoples, the Gentiles, all the nations. Um, and that wasn't known so explicitly um, before. Um, then also, it's a, part of, a big part of the mystery is, is, is this idea of substitution. You, you'll see that three times during, during that passage, he says, for you or for your sake. In other words, the whole... You know, essential to the, to the gospel is this idea that, that there's substitution that takes place. I love the way John Stott says it um, in his book, The Cross of Christ. He says, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. And this idea that something was done for you, for your sake, in your stead, 
is central to the gospel. That Jesus was treated the way we deserve to be treated, so that we could be treated the way that he deserves to be treated. Um, and then also this, this mystery is a, indwelling, a mystery of indwelling. Um, you know, it, it says the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that in you makes a difference. That's kind of important, right? You can have a box of sleeping pills, but as long as you hold them in your hand, as long as they're in the box, they're not going to make you sleepy. But there's a difference between the pill being in the box and the pill, you know, once you swallow it being in your tummy. What happens when, you, when it's in you? It starts working in you. And it, whatever its nature is, starts manifesting in you. And that's the same, and that's the secret to the Christian life. The secret to the Christian life is not me trying to be better in my own strength, but me having Christ in me so that Christ in me, like that sleeping pool, starts manifesting His nature. He just does the opposite of a sleeping pool. Where a sleeping pool makes you fall asleep, Christ makes you wake up. <laughs> you know? but, but His nature starts because His in me starts manifesting in me and through me. And that's the secret of the Christian life. That's why it's this open secret, this mystery, this um, amazing thing. That here's, here's the other thing that's amazing to me. A Christian can never be an individual. Think about it for a moment. The only way you can be a Christian is if Christ is in you. Which means you're no longer individual. You're a community. Wherever you go, you're not alone. Wherever you go, Christ is not just with you. He's in you. A Christian is irreducibly a community. Christ is in you and with you wherever you go. And um, let me, um, I'm, I'm running a bit out of time, so let me, let me finish with the last one. We spoke about having a gospel mandate and a gospel message, a gospel mandate to minister this gospel message um, to people. Um, but Paul starts off by saying, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And, and I'm, I must be honest, when I read that um, again, and, and, and I, I've read this before, and all the commentators say that's one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to interpret, I was thinking, like, Paul, how can you say that? It doesn't sound right. Paul, <laughs> behave. <laughs> what are you saying? But, but obviously, you know, what Paul is saying is right. We must just not misunderstand what he is saying. Um, what is Paul saying? It, it looks, it can look like Paul is saying that, uh, let, let me just read that, that portion again. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It can seem like Paul is saying that Christ's afflictions, his sufferings are insufficient. It's not enough. It's not good enough. It needs to be supplemented. We need to add to it. It can seem that that, that is what he's saying. But there are clear, I think, clues to us in the immediate context and in the context of the letter. That's, that's not what he's saying. Okay? The first thing is, um, the word that he uses there, he says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings and I'm filling up uh, the afflictions of Christ. He, the word suffering, my suffering, um, is a different word in the Greek from 
the afflictions of Christ. And, and the word the afflictions of Christ that he uses there is, is not a word that is ever used for Christ's atonement, his suffering on the cross. So, so, so that already, the two different words that he uses is sh- showing us that he's not saying that Paul is trying to add his suffering in order to make Christ's suffering on the cross enough, sufficient. Okay, that's the first clue. The second clue is the whole point of the letter of Colossians was that Christ is sufficient. That Christ is enough. You don't have to add, have to add all kinds of other stuff, rules and regulations or philosophies or, you know, you know, powers and principalities and all kinds of stuff. Jesus is enough. That's the whole point of the letter. So you cannot be saying within the context of that big picture message that no, Christ is actually not enough. What he did on the cross and what he suffered on the cross is not enough. So if, if he's not saying that Christ is Suffering on the cross was lacking or insufficient. What is he saying? Um, and here I just want to bring up, if you can just bring up uh, those two scriptures in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 and 4. Um, because here in Philippians 2 verse 29 and especially verse 30, Paul uses almost exactly the same words. And the situation here is that Epaphroditus um, brought, the, the Philippian church was, you know, they supported um, Paul extremely faithfully and, and sent you know, financial support and all kinds of stuff to him. So, so they were struggling to find him you know, in, in order to support him. And Epaphroditus went out from them with a gift uh, you know, that they sacrificially gave in order to support uh, Paul financially. But they were, str- he was struggling, they were, str- he was struggling to, get f- to find Paul. And he says, So I received from him, from Epaphroditus, in the Lord uh, with all joy... Uh, Sorry, sorry. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he, Epaphroditus, nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete. That's the same word that Paul uses here to say to fill up, to complete, to fill up what was lacking in your service to me. Okay? So what was it that was lacking? Was, Was their gift not enough? Was their gift insufficient? Okay? In, in, in chapter 4 we read, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what was lacking was the opportunity. The gift was good. The gift was sufficient. But the opportunity to personally present it and give it, that was what was lacking. Okay? And, and, and I submit to you that Paul is saying the same thing here when he's talking about filling up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. Okay? What is lacking in the suffering of Christ? Just the personal presentation of it. In other words, what Paul is saying here um, is that Christ's suffering for us is sufficient. He's paid the whole price. He's done everything that needs to be done. But that gift needs to be delivered to people. That gift doesn't benefit people unless it's actually delivered to them. And God has ordained, and this is the important part, that the gift earned by Christ's suffering be delivered and presented in a way that reflects Christ's suffering. In other words, the method, the gospel method, must reflect the gospel message. Does that make sense? That means that um, that means that suffering is not optional. 
in our presentation of the gospel. And we shouldn't try and avoid suffering. We must be ready and prepare ourselves in order to suffer to personally and powerfully present the gospel to people who need it. Are you ready for that? In our modern culture, it's kind of difficult to be ready for that because we're encouraged to avoid suffering and hardship and discomfort uh, in all of its forms. So, so Paul's sufferings are, are not supplementing the sufferings of Christ, but complementing them by enabling the, the message, the suffering of Christ and its effect to be delivered to people. Um, so God, uh, John Piper says it this way, and I like the way he says it. He says, God intends for the affliction, afflictions of Christ, God intends that the afflictions of Christ, uh, for, for them to be presented to the world through the afflictions of His body, the church. God intends the sacrifice of His Son to be mirrored by the sacrifice of His church as they present the sacrifice of His Son. It completes the afflictions of Christ by making them visible to those who need them. Suffering for the gospel reflects the suffering of the gospel and therefore we can rejoice in it. Does that make sense? I must admit this is not the easiest word. But the reality is that the happiest people in the world aren't those who live comfortable lives. But those who live uncomfortable lives of suffering for the gospel. Throughout history, those have been the happiest people who have given themselves at great cost to themselves for something that is the greatest treasure in the world. Um, Jesus, another way of putting it is Jesus suffered for propitiation. Propitiation means to pay the price. But we suffer for propagation to share that message, to share that with the world. So I, I heard a story um, and I want to close with this. I heard a story of an Indian um, gentleman who got saved, a very poor guy, and he, and he felt he must become a missionary, and he, and he went around to different villages to share the gospel, but it was, it was really very poor. He didn't even have shoes. So he'd walk you know, to villages and go and share the gospel um, with those villages. And he, he decided once, he felt you know, uh, the Lord lay on his heart that he must go to a very far-off village, um, and he walked there, you know, early in the morning, walked there, and, and the road was much worse than he thought. And by the time he reached the, road, the, the, the village, you know, in the, in the evening, his feet were blistered and, 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 and hurt and bleeding, actually. Um, and, he, and he went into the village and he started sharing the, the gospel, but the people just rejected it outright and actually um, chased him away. Uh, and he was so tired and discouraged that he went into a you know, nearby tree and just went and lay under the tree you know, and fell asleep. You know, because he'd been walking the whole day, you know, to get there, you know, and his feet were just sore. So he just lay down and he just fell asleep under the tree. And, and, and then he woke up at some stage and he realized that there were people around him and the whole village had actually gathered around him. And at first he was like afraid. He sort of shrunk back against the tree. Uh, and, and then the people said, no, don't worry. Um, you know, we, you know, after you shared your message with us and, and came here and fell asleep, we, we, we thought we just wanted to come and see you and, and, and sort of see what we can observe. And we, we noticed that your feet were like blistered and bleeding. And, and then we realized that clearly this message that you wanted to share with us was very important to you. And clearly if you were willing to suffer so much to bring this message to us, we ought to listen to it. 
And he shared the gospel with them again, and they all got saved. Because his suffering in bringing the message to them filled up what was lacking in Christ's suffering that was the subject of the message to them. And because they saw his suffering in bringing the message, they could more easily accept Christ's suffering, which is told of in the message. Does that make sense? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.